Let's turn in God's word to Genesis chapter 1. Preaching a series in heritage on the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. Began that a few weeks ago. The plan is for me to be back here for two services, Lord willing, next week. And I plan to continue in Genesis chapter 1 in both of those services as well. So we'll take tonight God's creation of heaven and earth. And then next Sunday morning, God's creation of light. And then in the evening, his creation of the firmament. And our text for tonight is verses 1 and 2 of the chapter, and we'll read the entirety of the chapter. Genesis chapter 1, this is the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. 
And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus far we read the word of God. Our text, which I will reread now, is verses 1 and 2 of the chapter. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. (coughs) Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Our text, of course, is found in the book of Genesis. When you approach a book of the Bible, one of the questions that you ought to ask is, what is the unique place that this book of the Bible has in the canon of Scripture? And at least one thing, and probably the most significant thing that you could say about the book of Genesis, its place in all of the Bible is this. It's a book of beginnings. A book of beginnings. You have here, of course, as we'll be getting into that already tonight, the beginning of the universe. 
God's creation of heaven and earth. You have, too, the beginning of sin. Sin for which man is to blame. And you have, from there on out, a battle between light and darkness. Beginnings in that spiritual battle. You have the beginning of the gospel. And couldn't you children, many of you, probably quote to me if I asked you, I won't, but if I did, you could probably recite Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what we often call the mother promise. You have also, here in the book of Genesis, the historical realization of election and reprobation. You have the beginning of a second world after God sends the flood on the earth. And, of course, the beginning of the children of Israel in the sense that God is now gathering, forming this group of people. Where we are taken this evening in this book of beginnings is to the very dawn of history. The very first moment of the very first day that there ever was. Something mysterious about that. Something amazing. God created heaven and earth. I want us to walk away tonight thinking to ourselves, this is so astounding that God created heaven and earth. This is a miracle. And that's what we're faced with, a miracle. And by faith, which God has given to us graciously for Jesus' sake, that gift to us, we believe exactly what he says here. Take this under the theme, God created the heaven and the earth. We'll have four points. They all have the same wording to them, but as you see in the bulletin, the underlining shows the different emphasis in each. First, God created the heaven and earth. Second, God created the heaven and earth. Third, God created the heaven and earth. And then the fourth point, with no underlining, but the whole thing emphasized with that exclamation point, God created the heaven and earth. And we'll see there some points of significance. God created. Where we have to begin here is not with what God did. We'll get to that very shortly. But where we have to begin is within God himself. God has, as we're well familiar with these terms, his eternal counsel. God's eternal counsel is simply his plan. And God's counsel or his plan includes every single thing that ever happens in the universe, every particle in heaven and earth included in this counsel or plan of God. And we say that his counsel is eternal, meaning that it's not found within this box of time, but it's found entirely outside of time. This is 
the things that he has determined to do from eternity, eternal counsel. And one thing, and a very important thing, in that plan is just what he does here. He's going to create heaven and earth. And I make the point that this was in God's counsel eternally because no one forced God to create the universe. He was not compelled to do this. He did it simply because it pleased him to do it. That plan, which includes all things but also the creation of heaven and earth, he executes. He carries it out in time and history. And when God created heaven and earth, he was simply executing or carrying out that part of his counsel. Text states it simply, plainly, but so profoundly. In the beginning, God created. That is, he gave existence to this heaven and earth. That word created means to shape something, to form something. And what that, also, what that already tells you about our creator God is what a skillful designer he is. You might say with reverence he's the divine architect who knows and is powerful to shape and form the heaven and the earth. And here we come to something that's amazing. Before God created this heaven and earth, there was absolutely nothing. Now, to even try to conceive of that with our human minds, we, we, we really can't wrap our minds around that, can we? But before God created, there was absolute nothingness. And then he created, and there was something that's astounding. Even we ladies, when we're baking something, and we might say, I'm going to bake this cake from scratch, we all know that we're not starting with nothing. There are some basic ingredients. There's something that we're going to use to make that cake. Even though we say we're making it from scratch, God, when he made heaven and earth, as it's recorded for us here in verse 1, he did not start with anything, no raw material, no basic ingredients, but out of this absolute nothingness, he made this thing. That's the miracle that's before us. As far as this creative act is concerned, I want to bring in this. We're going to get later to the fact that God is the creator, but already here with his act of creation, it was the triune God who made heaven and earth. Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit, three persons in one being or essence. When verse 1 says that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, God there in the original language is actually plural. You say, well, why is it plural? We certainly don't believe what the heathen believe, that there are many gods. We reject that. But it is plural in the original because he's the triune God, three persons in one being. And Father and Son and Holy Spirit are all involved in this work of creating heaven and earth. What I want to point out there is that the second person of the Trinity made heaven and earth. The second person, whom Scripture also calls the Word, and where we learn in John chapter 1 that that Word became flesh, the incarnation, Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. This verse here, Colossians 1, verse 16, this is referring to God's dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. And it says about God's dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. You can't even look at Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 without seeing Christ there. Your Savior is the creator of the universe. Now I bring up the fact that the triune God created because it tells us something about the creative act. You can understand it this way. The Father, first person of the Trinity, spoke the Word, who's the second person of the Trinity, and then the Holy Spirit, the third person, carried out what God expressed in that Word. Father spoke the Word, and then the Holy Spirit carried out what the Father expressed in that word. Triune God created heaven and earth. Also belonging to this whole matter of, of what God did that, that he created is when he did that. When. And the verse 1 says, in the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. That beginning is the very first moment of the very first day that there ever was. And precisely at that first moment that there ever was, that's when he made this heaven and earth. Which, by the way, means that God also created time. I think sometimes we're under the impression that there's always been time. 
But that's a wrong impression. Even time is a creature of God, and he made it here. Now, I'm going to speak like a man because I can think of no other way to express it. Before this beginning, there were no seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, and years. At this beginning and after it, now you have seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, and years. God created the beginning. He made time. And now it's at that first moment that there ever was that he makes what it says here in verse 1. And what did he create? Now we place the emphasis at the end. Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth, says verse 1. Now before we get into what it is that God made, I want to back up just for a moment and say this. There are some people who approach Genesis 1 verse 1 and they say the following. They say verse 1 is like a title that summarizes everything that comes after it in chapter 1. In other words, verse 1 describes everything that God did in the six days. It just summarizes it by saying he made heaven and earth. Those who take that position are wrong. Instead, we ought to understand verse 1 as, as we already established. This heaven and earth, what God made here, is the first thing that he did. And then what we find in the rest of Genesis 1 are things that God did after that. What he made was heaven. Heaven, what God made in the first moment of the first day here, includes the sky that you can see with the naked eye. I'm going to qualify that by saying the sky that you see when you go out of church tonight is not the same exactly as what he makes here because he's going to be making more things throughout this creation week. But heaven does include the sky that you can see overhead. It also includes outer space, which is beyond the sky. But again, be careful, because what God makes here is different than what we see today. For example, sun, moon, and stars are going to come on the fourth day. But he makes that space. And heaven also includes, beside the sky that you can see with the naked eye and outer space, heavenly glory. Sometimes what we call the heaven of heavens. You have never seen heaven, and neither have I. And you and I don't know where heaven is even. But even though we've never seen it, and even though we don't know where heavenly glory is, it's a real place, and we believe that by faith. It's even a place with a history to it. Think about it. There was a time when there was only one elect child of God in heaven, Abel, the one whom Cain killed. And then you have after that all sorts of God's people that are taken into heaven after that. 
So heaven has is a real place and has a history to it. It's the dwelling place of God, the Bible tells us. It's the abode of angels, and it's the place where God's people are taken immediately at the time of death in their soul to that real place. God created that heaven. Sky, outer space, heavenly glory, heaven, and God made on this first day, at the first moment of it, earth. And what verse 2 is doing is it's expanding on that earth and something of what it looked like. It says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This is a bit difficult to comprehend what this may have looked like, but it says it was without form and void, which means formless and empty. Now, you should not take that to mean that there was nothing there. There was something because God just made something. So there was some substance, but without form and void in the sense that there are no finished creatures that God has made yet. He has not made, fashioned, and formed specific creatures And in that sense, without anything finished, this is just raw material, you might say. In that sense, it's without form and void. That doesn't mean, of course, that God's work was imperfect. It was perfect. It had no imperfections in it. It just means that God is an orderly God, and he's working here in a process, and the first thing that he makes is the raw material. Now again, what exactly that looks like, verse 2 gives us a little bit of help. There was darkness, it says, upon the face of the deep. It got dark about 5 or 6 o'clock at least in Sioux Falls when that storm came through a few weeks ago and that blew up the dust and it almost looked like nighttime. And it clearly wasn't nightfall yet. But the darkness here is such that we have never experienced before. It's an absolute darkness, this pitch blackness. That's how we ought to imagine it. And not only is there darkness over the earth that God has made in the first moment of the first day, but It's very watery. In fact, water is mentioned two times in verse 2. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, that's water, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In some form, you have all over here on the surface of the earth, this water. What is the connection, then, between this heaven and earth that God made on the one hand and the rest of the things that he's going to create in the creation week on the other hand. What's the connection between those two? It's this. God's going to use the heaven and earth that he made in the first moment of the first day 
And he's going to take from that raw material and he's going to use that to make the rest of the creation. Heaven and earth, he made that out of nothing. And now, in the rest of the days, he's going to use that to make the rest of his creatures. going to shape them and form them from that. In six 24-hour days, he's going to make a beautiful, orderly creation. And that's where the Spirit comes in here. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That word moved in the original has the idea of a hen brooding over its eggs. We can imagine what that's like. The Holy Spirit, of course, is not a hen, but he, as it were, broods over the waters. He's moving over them. And just like the Holy Spirit is the giver of life and salvation, and we're going to come to that, he's the quickener, he gives life also in creation. And so he's moving, brooding over the waters, and he's going to bring out of them these shaped, formed, finished creatures. And we'll see that in Genesis 1 as that continues. Creation, marvelous, miraculous act. What God created was that heaven and earth. And the one who did it all was God. And just as soon as you say, God created the heaven and earth, you must say in the same breath, evolution is not the explanation for the universe. I think it's really important tonight, beloved, that to bring this up because evolution is taught in a lot of schools today and it's not just in the public school system but it's in the Christian school system especially in the colleges we need to know something about this evolution is a lie it's a denial of God it's wicked unbelief and it's to boil it really down to the bare bones this what you see around you stuff matter that's all there is to this life that's all there is to existence so the evolutionists will teach and the world and the universe is millions and millions even billions and billions of years old and you need those billions of years so they teach because there has to be this adaptation this change from simple life forms all the way to more complex life forms until finally lo and behold you come to something as complex as a human being itself and there's been they say this evolution over billions of years we have to understand That's a religion. 
That's a, that's a worldview. That's a philosophy, what they teach. And it's a lie. And when you think about it, if this is what's being taught to people today, as has been for many years now, that all you see around you matter, that's all there is to life. That's all there is to existence. And really, you're nothing more than a complex beast. Then is it any surprise why the month of June is called what it is? And is it any surprise that there's a sexual revolution that probably the older saints here never thought you would see the things that you see going on in the world? If you're taught that you're just a beast, really, you live like a beast, especially sexually. Eat, drink, marry, for tomorrow we die. That's the worldview in so many quarters today. Over against that lie of evolution, God created the heaven and the earth. God did it. If I had you fill in a blank, God is blank. What would you put there? Maybe you would struggle to do that, as I would. How do you, how do you just put a word in there? You can't put God into a box, and maybe the best that we could do is say, God is God. He's so great. That's the one who has created all of these things. What does it tell you that the first verse in the whole Bible, almost the first word of the whole Bible, is God? Well, it tells you about Genesis 1 that the focus and emphasis is not even on the things that he has made, but all the focus and emphasis and glory goes to him who made it. And that the word God is almost the first word in the Bible and that it's in the first verse of the whole Bible tells you that when you look through all of Scripture, whether you're in the Old Testament or you're in the New Testament, it's all about him, all about him, God. And even though we stammer now when we talk about our God, we can say a few truths that come out about him from the text. For one thing, his power. That there was absolute nothingness, and then he made something, this earth and this vast expanse of the heavens, that takes nothing less than a divine, almighty, infinite power. He's a powerful God. And beside that, his wisdom and skill to shape and to form and to make these things. And he's eternal. Eternal. He made that beginning. He made time, which must mean about our God that 
he himself is the eternal God who stands infinitely above all of time and history. Again, I'm going to speak as a man because I know no better way of expressing it. Here's that beginning, that first moment of the first day. Before that, there was only God. And now don't think, children, that he was born or that he grew or developed in some way. There was always God from eternity to eternity. That boggles the mind, doesn't it? We learn from our text that he's independent, self-existent, self-sufficient God. He does not depend upon the creation. The creation depends upon him. Independent God he is. And one final truth that the word of God teaches us in these two verses about our creator is that he's God alone. I can't think of a much more powerful statement in all of the word of God than Genesis 1 verse 1 to teach us there's no others at all. And the heathens can collect to themselves all of these things that they call gods. In reality, they're just idols. And besides, idols that they made from the creation, they're just idols. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's God alone. And there's no others at all. And then you learn more and more. Now to take that whole phrase, God created heaven and earth, and to put an exclamation point behind it. How highly significant this is. I have four points of significance that we draw from this. And the first is this. We have, beloved, every reason to praise him. This must be the effect of the preaching of the word this evening, that we would leave these pews and exit out of church glorifying this God, and that we would go home and fall down on our knees and worship him. He's so great. And if you and I ever feel that we're becoming pretty big in our own estimation and that we're becoming a little bit proud, read Genesis 1 verses 1 and 2 again. That will humble us to the dust. I think of Revelation chapter 4 where the elders are around the throne and they say, Verses 10 and 11 of Revelation 4 say, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, 
For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. The second significance of this is what a comfort we have. I'm going to say something that takes my breath away. This God who made heaven and earth in an instant out of absolutely nothing and is so powerful and is so wise is your God and your Father for Jesus' sake. Isn't that a comfort? And then you think of all the psalms in which God's people find their consolation in the fact that the one who calls them his children is the one who made everything. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That God is my God. And when I'm afraid in my life, and when you're in distress, we remember he made heaven and earth. My God did. And when we can't make sense of our life, and sometimes we say of a thing, I don't understand why this is here. I don't know why I have to pass through this. This is a hard thing. Then we remind ourselves the one who in perfect wisdom ordered the whole universe is the one who ordered our life ere our days began. And when our minds rush with all that's going on in the world, with war, conflict, and sometimes don't you, like I, feel like we're rushing in this river of time. It's just this unstoppable river. And we see all these changes, not only in the world, but in our personal lives. And we can become distressed with that too. And then we say, but our God stands completely above that rushing river of time, and he governs it all. What a comfort. In the third place, significance. The text is not referring to something spiritually that God does, but it does remind us of something spiritually that he does. There's another kind of creation that God has performed. Isaiah 43 verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. What did he do for his people? What does he do for us? A spiritual work called recreation. We who were dead and trespasses and sins. He's taken us and irresistibly all of his grace and in his power 
And by that same Spirit who brooded over the waters and quickens life out of them, by that same Spirit regenerates us, makes us alive, recreates us. And that work of God, when he regenerates us, beloved, is just as sovereign as what he did on that first day. And then fourth, the significance. God has a plan. In the beginning, it says, where there's a beginning, there must and there will be an ending. And all time is rushing toward that. You understand, it wasn't as if there was paradise where Adam and Eve lived in perfection and that that was God's goal. And then that, well, man fell into sin and now God has to sort of, in a frustrated way, he has to resort to a plan B and the plan B is Christ. That's not the way it is. God has one unified plan, rather, and at that center of that plan is Christ. And included in that plan is the fall into sin. That's not to say God is to blame or is responsible for sin. He's not. But we must say it's included in his plan. Fall into sin. And the sending of a Savior, Jesus Christ, who went all those weary days on this earth suffering under the load of our sin and went to the cross, carried them there, and paid fully for all of our sins. He who was perfectly obedient and he who suffered under the wrath of God. That's how God is most glorified in that deep way of sin and grace, most glorified in that. And then Christ arose from the grave, ascended into heaven to be at God's right hand, and now is bringing all things to that great goal of his coming when he shall bring about the new heaven and new earth, and we will be there forever to magnify God and worship the Lamb for salvation forever and ever and ever that's the goal. Where there's a beginning, there must be an end. And Genesis 1 verse 1 reminds us to say what Revelation 22 states. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our great God in heaven, creator of the universe, thou who hast created in the beginning and art thy great plan, bringing all things to that great goal. We're humbled by this, Lord. We worship thee for this. We're grateful for it. May it truly be that by thy grace and spirit we would leave this place fall down in humble adoration before thee, our great God and our Father. Hear us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.